Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 74th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that always shows up to swim with the sharks when there's blood in the water. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Travis Allen, as always, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, everybody. Glad to be here. Uh, Looking forward to another great episode. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? James, this week we've got an episode in three parts. Our segment one is our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have jumped the most in price this week. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I will run through a few cards that we think could rise in price. And segment three will be our topic of the week. We're going to go through the full hour of devastation spoiler and uh, take a look at what's showing up, what's new, and what we think has some potential. So, Let's jump right in at the start here. Segment one, top movers, we're looking at Phyrexian Soul Gorger. We're looking uh, at the Cold Snap printing, the only printing. Um, this is a, a funky little guy. He's a three mana, eight, eight artifact, snow artifact creature construct <laughs> with a cumulative upkeep of sacrifice the creature. Um, so the reason that we're seeing this g- jump, uh, which was, oh, I'm sorry, was from two to three dollars. Big, big change here. Um is that it works very well with Solemnity, um, which was the theme last week and will continue to be a theme this week um, because Solemnity, you don't have to pay any of your cumulative upkeeps. So Phyrexian Soul Gorger is just a 3-mana 8-8. Uh, this is most definitely people just reaching. I don't think that this is uh, reliable at all. You know, The only place I would really expect Solemnity um, and Solemnity specs to get any heavenly legs is in EDH, and I don't know who's paying 3-mana for an 8-8 in that format, but that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, if you're going the Solemnity route in EDH, it's like you said, like, if you're going to go the combo route, there's a bunch of cards that combo off and either give you infinite life or win you the game on the spot, um, and your big combo being you get an 8-8 is probably not where you want to be. Heck no. <laughs> All right, so what do you got next for us? So one of the other big movers this week is yet another one of the Masterpiece uh, series uh, inventions making a move. Mox Opal this time, uh, the perennial four of in multiple decks in Modern and occasionally in Legacy and and Vintage, uh, has moved from about 130 to 200. That's a $70 gain for about 54%. Um, I think both of us are holding copies of this that we acquired in Europe, so glory days. Certainly, this is a... I was lamenting the other day that I wish I had essentially a lot more liquid capital so that I could just buy every invention on the market because I don't think you would be disappointed with the results. Yeah, it's, it's going well so far. And I think uh, I, I've got some notes on uh, some future targets. And once we get to our cards to watch list. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, no, I was trying not to put one on my uh, card to watch list because I'm like, I don't want to just do one of these every single week. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's like doing like Thought Not and Reality Smash and that over and over and over again. It's like, okay, you guys get it. 
Well, I mean, for the first four months of the year, we were making a lot of noise and people were kind of poo-pooing us. But I think uh, the momentum has now shifted and everybody's aware that this is these specs are red hot and on the move. Um, I don't think anybody needs any prompting from this point forward. No. Um, all right. So next up is Callwrath Knight from Shadowmoor. Uh, this jumped from like two to maybe four. Uh, I think we might have. I feel like I mentioned this last week um, or at least the idea of the card. This is uh, a Shadowmoor Uncommon. Um, creatures your opponent's control with counters on them can't attack or block so um, it would have missed Hapatra but now it will pair well with uh, Scorpion God I believe um, so jumped up a little bit probably a lot of pe- people building that deck are going to want to put this in there yeah the, sh- the red black shadow more minus one minus one counters cards are now suddenly relevant because Scorpion Guard God gives you a whole another direction to go and as we mentioned I think on an earlier show um, if we ever get a a jund colored commander that works with minus one minus one counters that you get to slot both hapatra and uh scorpion guard card god cards into that seems like it actually be a pretty solid deck yeah yeah certainly a cool a cool deck with uh reason with probably pretty reasonable power level for at least a, a non-competitive circle um all right what's next all right, so next on the list, we've got Burnished Heart Foils from Theros, uh, moving from 475 to 11. This is a card that was completely off my radar, but it's a pretty persistent uh, EDH staple. Shows up in thousands of decks as a colorless mana fixer that can go get basics. Um, so pretty good key card in that format that I'm guessing a lot of people just have, you know, a single foil copy lying around from their draft chaff or whatever. Yeah, this card's really cool. I actually have it in a couple EDH decks because it's uh, a great mana ramp, or at least... You know, kind of helps you keep up with the green decks if you're not in green. Um, I wish I had thought about this a while ago because I recognize how good it was. It just never crossed my mind to go look for them. Uh, next up is Glacial Chasm. Um, we're looking at the Ice Age copy, but uh, the FTV copy moved as well. Um, the Ice Age copy jumped from under three to over six for over a double up. Uh, Gavis is paired with Solemnity. Um, with the two of those in play, you just can't be attacked um, and it costs you nothing. That seems better uh, than a, an 8-8. Yeah, right? And it's a land and an enchantment, so they're pretty, you know, not hard to uh, to remove, but they're certainly two of the more stickier permanent types, um, so pretty reliable there. I think I've definitely played games of EDH where you could go, like, 10 turns without either of those getting destroyed, especially if other players are playing stuff um, much more threatening. So there you go. If you had any floating around, good job. List them on. Get them sold. Uh, you know, Glacial Chasm is not reserved. Um, could be reprinted. I wouldn't expect it to happen anytime soon, but I have a feeling, given that this is from Ice Age, this supply is going to far outweigh uh, any new demand. Yeah, I agree fully. And you should, people should also keep an eye out for the FTV Realms version of this card, which has spiked as well. Um, and I should probably mention uh, live what I mentioned on Twitter last week, which is that for like the third or fourth time, FTV Realms is way underpriced for sealed product. So. I mean, there's like $190 in value um, of relatively liquid cards in that in that set, and a new one seems to pop off every few months. And you can still pick those up at like 110, 120, no problem on eBay um, with free shipping. So be aware. Okay, yeah, I remember picking up a couple of realms a while ago because I noticed they were also underneath the um, market value of the cards inside. Uh, what's next, James? This is a, this is a unique one we got next. Yeah, so Culling Scales from Mirrodin um, has apparently popped up in a few in a modern deck that's like a five-color Tezzeret brew. Uh, it's like a silver bullet toolbox type of deck that runs 
the full seven copies. Well, it's not full. Seven of eight possible Tezzeret copies. Um, Tezzeret, Agent of Bolas, and Tezzeret the Seeker, <clears throat> alongside Liliana of the Veil. Four Collective Brutality, four Damnation, four Trinket Mage, and a Walking Ballista. And then a package of toolbox artifacts, including Chalice of the Void, Engineered Explosives, Mishra's Bauble, Pything Needle, Relic of Progenitus, Demir Signet, and Ensnaring Bridge. And then you see usually like two or three copies of Culling Scales in the sideboard that can come in against creature decks. Um, what Culling Scales does is it's an artifact for three. At the beginning of your upkeep, destroy target non-land permanent with the lowest converted mana cost among non-land permanents in play. So where that gets good is if you're, you've got a four casting cost, um, you know, Tezzeret in play, and they've got a Death Shadow. Well, the Death Shadow is probably going to be the lowest casting cost creature when it comes time to kill something. Yep, I have seen this played in uh, EDH to some amusement because that can last for quite a while. It's never threatening enough to destroy, but it's always picking stuff off. Um, oh, I, I like a card like this in EDH where you can just keep the board a little clearer so you can fit your beer on the table. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm a little surprised to see it in modern, but hey, if people can make it work. More power to them. Yeah, uh, I mean, th- oh, this is about as fringe as a deck in modern gets right now, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but those are the, those are the types of decks we like because there's. Those are the decks most likely to have money in them, like, you know, Culling Scales. Uh, next up is Mystic Retrieval from Dark Ascension. We're looking at the foil copy specifically. It jumped from like $1.50 to just under 4 for for more than a double up. Um, this looks like it's mostly just on the back of low supply. It's only got one foil printing from Dark Ascension. Very popular in any of the Is It spell-based decks. Uh, there's Mizzix, uh, Melek, and uh, probably one or two others as well. Um, so basically just a been a while since we've seen it. Um, supply is dwindling. Yeah, I mean, sure, Niv Mizzet as well in EDH. And uh, the only sad part here is that this is the dreaded, um, you know, went from $2 to $4. Uh, that sounds like you doubled up, but you actually made no money once you're done packing, shipping, and spending time on it. So hopefully it gets up to like $10 or something, and then anybody who was smart enough to stash away some copies will actually make a few dollars. All right, so next on the list, we got Mystic Remora out of Ice Age. This is a card that was, you know, occasionally people look at as a potential spec as it shows up in EDH occasionally in decks that can afford the ramping mana cost to keep it in play. Um, but the the thing here is that it also com- combos with Solemnity, right? Like you just start drawing cards um, and you don't have to pay any cumulative upkeep because it can't get fresh canners. Correct. Yep. This is one of those... Um, this is another one that's very interesting with Solemnity, I think, uh, it's certainly a cool little combo. Um, but it's that, that Ice Age printing, there was so much Ice Age and I guess it's hard to gauge how much Ice Age matters at the, like the supply of Ice Age matters compared to like the supply of like Cons of Darkie or something like that. Um, because there hasn't really been anything in Ice Age good enough for anyone to ever care for us to like test the limits of the supply. So I'm still not exactly sure where we are on that. But I don't think there's as much Ice Age as there would be of like even Zendikar. Uh, so, I mean, maybe maybe these cards have some legs, you know? Yeah, I mean, Ice Age was very overprinted at the time. Um, and I think you have to go back to those graphs that we were looking at from the European stat aggregator that was pulling stats on total number of cards um, available in Europe on MCM um, to get a sense of like how it how Ice Age supply relates to other sets. I suspect that it's much higher than other sets from that era, but still quite a bit lower than you know anything from Ravening a Block forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean that, that's probably correct. Um. 
what do you got for us? So prismatic strands, the foils from Judgment, uh, moved from a dollar to three dollars. Also, still the kiss of death kind of spec, even though you in theory tripled up. Um, popper paper spec, pretty lame. Uh, you know, notable if it gets higher, but otherwise I would stay steer clear of this one. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Next up is uh, sleight of hand, the foil. Um, I mean, results are, or the numbers are showing that it, it jumped huge, like 100 to 300 for a massive gain. Um, but there have been no copies of this anywhere anyways. There's still none on TCG. There's one Japanese foil for a little over $100. Market price is still 50 bucks, so nobody sold one over there. Uh, I would kind of put this in the same vein at this point as like sort of a Lorwyn foil Thoughtseize, and that the number on it is probably pretty high. But there are so few copies being sold online that you really can't get a good feel for the price here as the number for this now lives at vendor booths, I think, um, as opposed to as a stat on TCG player. Yeah, man, I saw one on camera at the uh, SCG Invitational. Um, so obviously people are are buying these occasionally. Um but it's not the kind of thing I would want to be trying to go deep on, especially not if you're paying current prices. Um, you know, if you find one in a binder at a, at a store, some crazy store that prices manually like I was in yesterday, um, then, yeah, maybe you're going to luck out and have a shot at unloading this somewhere in the 100 to $150 range. Yeah, I mean, there's if you had picked them up a while ago, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of money to be made there. But at this point, I don't think anyone's doing much with it that they haven't already i mean basically what's going uh, on here is this hasn't been reprinted in a long time it's a four of in storm and modern and shows up occasionally in other decks i think some of the grixis death shadows decks have run it for card selection um although that's not a consistent choice and you know seventh foils are expensive in general and hard to come by because they're black bordered core set foils um that that look really sweet um so yeah i mean there's just not a lot of these around yeah, I wish I had some. <laughs> you know, they're gonna put they're gonna print this in some you know, they're gonna put it in like iconic masters or masters twenty five as a you know, a common and it'll be different art and a different border. Uh maybe it'll be the ninth edition art. Um and uh, you know, the the prices on these seventh and ninth are just gonna collapse. Like they'll still be valuable, but no like nobody's gonna wanna pay three hundred dollars or even hundred and fifty dollars for a foil seventh edition sleight of hand if they can pick up the one from iconic masters for eight. Yeah, I, I think that really tempers demand, although I would argue that there are still, you know, the kind of people that are buying foil sleight of hands for their modern deck might be snobber, snobbish enough that they still would prefer a 7th edition foil. Well, sure, and I mean, frankly, so would I, but when you're talking about a uh, price differential of, you know, 8 to 180 type of thing, it's like, there are not many people who can make that decision. Yeah. yeah. Fair. What, do you got? what else we got here? Season of the Witch making a move. Is that a dark card? Uh, yes, I believe so. Um, you don't really need to know what this does because it does nothing and no one's ever going to play it. Um, but it's an enchantment for three black. At the beginning of your upkeep, you sack it unless you pay two life. And at the beginning of the end step, destroy all untapped creatures that didn't attack this turn except for creatures that couldn't attack. I mean, to be fair, it is an interesting card. Um you know, when I think about this in context of EDH, it costs you two life per turn, which is is not too bad. And it's not at the beginning of your end step, it's every end step. And it destroys all the creatures that didn't attack that could have. This is actually sort of like 
a semi-permanent wrath. So why is it only an 81 dex on 8h.rec? You think it's a visibility issue? I do. I really think this is probably much more so a nobody really knew it was there type of thing rather than a it's not good enough. Because now that I'm I honestly, I I knew that this card existed, but I never like read it and didn't really pay much attention. And now that I'm looking at the card, I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of interesting. Like I could see putting this in a couple of my decks. Maybe Aloro. Uh, Aloro, uh, Karlov. I mean, I would play in like a Rakdos, the Defiler deck. Um, I think a, a lot, any deck that makes black can probably think about the card. Like, and I mean, how many, how many EDH rec decks is it in right now? It's like what? 10, 81. Yeah. So there's like, th- this is definitely underplayed for the effect. I think. Isn't it decent in Zer the Enchanter since it punishes not attacking Zer wants to attack every turn so he can go get this. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's going to be good in any deck where you, any EDH deck where you want to turn your creature sideways and you're stuck because other people aren't. This does it like that guy that played a Hornet Queen and then is just like sitting back and playing defense with his insect with his tokens like no, either attack with them or you lose them. Um, so it really keeps the game moving, which is good as from a strategic standpoint for several commanders, but also good in a just general EDH sense in that instead of everyone playing turtle, it kind of really gets the game moving. Um, which I also think is good. So, but uh, you know what? Honestly, at seven dollars, yeah, at seven dollars, I'd pick up a copy for myself. And I think that you know there might actually be some meat on the bone if people figure out that this card is playable in EDH. Is this a reserve list card? Mm-hmm. Is it really? Yes. Yep. Okay, I, I've talked myself out of it. I said this was garbage, and and this just goes to show that um, be ready to admit to your own ignorance because now that I've actually thought this through, um, I'm not convinced that the card is a super slam dunk, but um, I want to hear from our listeners. If you're an EDH player, um, would you play it? Have you played it? Will you test it and let us know? Um, see how it goes. Because if it's reserved list and it's under 10 bucks, it could easily end up a $30, $40 card if EDH catches on. Right, right, right. And, you know, I, I did, it's not like we sat down to record this and I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk up Season of the Witch. Like, I did not know what the card did until you started talking about it and I pulled it up on magiccard.info and I'm like, oh, that's what this does? Like this had so many words, I never bothered to read it. I'm not going to read. <laughs> this is this is more than a tweet. More than a tweet. I'm not going to read more than a tweet. Uh, no, it's a good card. I actually I, like it. I don't know if it's a good card. Um, I, I I feel like it has potential. And it is, it is a useful card. And and the card being on reserve list certainly helps because just people that want to finish sets like my dad eventually have to buy all these cards. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So interesting. Tell tell us what you think. What do you guys think of Season of the Witch? Uh. Moving on, talk to me about Undo Cleric. Oh God, do I have to? Undo Cleric was an awful cleric or an awful ally from an awful mechanic, and it's in an awful deck. <laughs> <laughs> jumped jumped from two to like eight fifty nine. Um, market price is still showing under two bucks. Uh, looks like you can. There's two foils left on TCG Player. There's probably a couple errant ones floating around here and there. Um, there was a cleric deck that showed up in a modern event recently. Well, a, a Naya Allies deck. Naya Allies deck. Okay, that's what it was. So, um, and that I mean, I, that's I, the only thing I can imagine is that's where this comes from. Um, I mean, the fact that you're gaining life off of it is really good in aggressive matchups. Burn. I mean, it just kind of shores up uh, a lot of different matches. Um, and serves as another body to attack with. So I don't know. There's only the one printing in Zendikar, so I can see this hanging around at like maybe five bucks, but it's hard to imagine it being too much more. I don't know the popper scene. Maybe there's additional demand from popper, paper popper, but paper popper isn't really a big market anyways. 
Yeah. I mean, the Allies deck gained a little bit in the last couple of years. They got Metallic Mimic. Uh, Reckless Bushwalker Bushwhacker was a big deal because it's a Goblin Warrior ally um, that gives all of your other allies plus one, plus zero in haste uh, if it was the second spell cast that turn. And then they also are using Dromoka's Command and Collected Company um, to give them a little reach uh, and board control. So, yeah, another fringe modern deck. Um, and the deck only one, runs one Ondu Cleric main and two in the board. Um, so, I mean, not tremendous demand. I think that if you can get out of Ondu Foil Clerics, um, you want to do that relatively soon before whatever hype cycle dies down on one of the message boards. And I certainly, it's not the kind of card I would want to be deep on, although I wouldn't mind having a few copies lying around at a dollar. Okay, fair enough. What is our big biggest gainer of the week here? Biggest explosion of the week was Decree of Silence moving from, uh, well, both foils and non-foils moving, but uh, foils moving from 75 cents to 450, or is that the non-foil that moved? Uh, 75 to 450 is the non-foil. Right. And uh, this is the card out of Scourge um, that combos with Solemnity, um, where you basically your opponents don't get to cast another spell for the rest of the turn, for the rest of the game. Because... <laughs> This is a pretty obnoxious effect. Yeah, and, and again, better than an 8-8. Okay. Um, so let's move on. Segment two, our cards to watch. James, as always, why don't you let us know what we're starting with? All right, so I dug deep to find some fresh new ideas this week. And uh, one of the things I've had my eye on, of course, that we've talked about before were important dragon lords from the cons block cycle that might be of relevance to EDH now that we've got a new dragon themed commander set coming out in a couple months. And one of the cards that jumped out at me was Dragon Lord Dromoka Foils um, for the mid to long term with a confidence level of 8 out of 10. Um, moving from, you can currently get them at about $15, but supply is very low. It's it's already used in 3,400 EDH decks, and they're not just dragon-themed decks. It's just a good card in general because it shuts down your opponents from doing anything on your turn. Um, and uh, I think this could end up being a $30 foil. Most of the Dragon Lords are pretty interesting targets probably at this point. Uh, dragon Lord Dromica especially is great because it does some of the stuff that um, a lot of players really enjoy. Uh, basically prevents them from messing with you. You know, we saw... <laughs> Uh, you know, there was well, that Savage Summoning was really expensive during pre-order season forever ago because people love the idea of your opponents not being able to counter your spells and Dragon Lord just gives you that at all times. Um, you know, 15 bucks for a interesting on-theme commander foil uh, that's probably not going to get reprinted until they do FPV Dragons 2 uh, seems pretty pretty respectable to me. Yep. All right. Hit me with your first one. All right, well, I am starting the week off with uh, Ceremonious Rejection Foils. This is the one mana instant um, from, wait, let me, from Kaladesh? Yeah, Kaladesh. Uh, it is instant counter-target counter colorless spell. Um, so there are an infinity of these in non-foil that are pretty affordable, like 10, 20 cents. Uh, but the foils right now, I, you can probably find them around 3 to $4. Um and I think these are pretty prime for a double up. They're quite popular in modern right now. It's actually uh, the 11th most played spell in all of modern, which is actually pretty wild when you think about it, because you have like Path, Lightning Bolt, Thoughtseize, Inquisition, all those like staples ahead of it. Um, so 11th is is actually where you start to get into like, well, what about the the cards that 
aren't in every yep. single deck. It counters all the Eldrazi. Um, it counters Chalice of the Voids and all the other artifacts. Um, and it does some other work in other places as well. So it's pretty useful. You can look over at Spell Pierce, which is from the original Zendikar, which is the one mana blue instant um, counter target spell unless they pay two. Foils of that are like tw- are today like 20 or $25, and they were higher, I believe, before the um, reprinting. So we know that the the ceiling for these types of effects is quite high. Uh, so, you know, at a couple bucks a piece, I think, uh, I think ceremonious rejections are, are pretty well positioned to at least double up or if not a good bit more so, depending on when it gets reprinted. Yeah, I love this one. Um, supplies are already relatively low, and this is a this is you know foil uncommon from last fall. Um, I'm not convinced it's actually you know the eleventh played most played spell in paper because those stats are coming from probably MTG Goldfish um, in the online meta where Grixis Death Shadow is extremely dominant. In the real world, people don't switch decks quite as fast, um, and there's still a lot of people hanging on to their decks from a year or two years ago. Um, but your argument is dead solid because in the current meta, being able to target spells out of the Tron list and affinity, um, with a single blue spell, a uh, single mana blue spell, uh, is pretty big game. Thanks. Uh, what do you got next for us? So next on my list is, uh, I can't even believe I'm saying this an invocation, <laughs> but, but the stats don't lie. They, you know, like we're, we've still got a ways to go. There are still some inventions that I rank higher priorities than this card. But I, one of the things I've been keeping my eye on is just levels of supply. And one of the things I think is interesting about the Masterpiece uh, Invocations is that the cards that are the highest price are not the ones with the lowest supply. That is, has got to be wrong. Um, it means that the market is pricing things, uh, you know, test priced a bunch of stuff and the market has not corrected yet. So the card that I've particularly I've got my eye on is the Wrath of God um, from the Amon Ket Invocations. This is the one with the gorgeous uh, Titus uh, Lunter art that uh, he just printed, did a Kickstarter and printed playmats for Vegas. Um, it's a real shame that this art wasn't printed sideways on the card and and without the super ugly external frame because the art's just stunning like you can't even really see what's going on um at the size that it's printed but it's like a a, like ridiculous mass of bodies moving towards this like giant explosion on a mountaintop and it's beautiful art um and i suspect that that's why uh there's like 10 copies of this thing left on tcg player lowest price is about 41 42 for a few and then pretty quickly it climbs up to 50 this is an easy 60 or $70 card in the future, and I think it's going to be one of the like go-to must-have Wrath of Gods. Um, I still prefer the uh, Textless Foil Wrath over this easily, um, but seems like a lot of people disagree, and copies are drying up pretty fast, given that it's only a couple months old. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's distinct. I, I wouldn't really... I have been reluctant to go anywhere near the invocations. I haven't even really looked, but I don't think that that's unreasonable at all. Wrath of God is still a pretty quite serviceable card. Um, you know, as a, as far as Wraths go, it's definitely the standard. I'm seeing it in 20,000 EDH rec decks. Certainly, certainly a popular card. Yeah, so I mean, um, if only 1% of those people have bad taste, then you can still sell 200 copies of this card, which leads me to... It, it was, it, it, and it's like 110% of those people have bad taste, right? <laughs> like, 
everyone, all of them have bad taste, and then 10% of them are really bad, like enough that we have to count them twice. Wow, we, we just made so many enemies. The, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the stats speak for themselves. I think this card's going to hit $60 relatively easily this year. Um, if you wanted a copy, I wouldn't hold back. And if you feel like dipping your toe in the invocation waters to see if you can you can stir the pot, then I'd, you know, three or four copies to hold for six to 12 months seems like a solid bet. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't dislike it. Um, my other card this week is Springleaf Drum. I'm looking at the foils from uh, Born of the Gods. Now the foil, uh, I'm looking at them right now. They're around five bucks. Um, I think they could easily hit around ten to fifteen. Um, if you look at the uh, Lorwyn foils, they are very expensive, like twenty five dollars right now. Um, and right now, the Born of the God printing is the only other foil printing of Springleaf Drum. Um, so it's way underpriced compared to the Lorwyn copies. Supply is drying up pretty fast, or at least I should say supply is pretty low at this point. So you might have a little bit of difficulty finding copies, um, but if you can find them in like the 5 to $6 range, I think those are pretty solid. Uh, it's a staple as, as far as it's, it's, it's as much of a staple in affinity at this point as Arkbound Ravager is. Um, and it's useful in a lot of other places too. Um, and these foils are so out, so in the wrong place compared to uh, the other, the original printing that there's absolutely no way these are not going to start. And the them. art on this is like, you know, actual fine art <laughs> like this. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it works. I do think that the Lorwyn one is better just because it's, it's funnier looking, but. Sure. I'll take the classical Greek look on the on this version any day over the the cartoonish quality of the other one, but it just goes to show that everybody has different opinions about what they want on their cards. My problem is it's so dark. It's just a really dark card, so like the art isn't great. Whereas the Lorwyn one is very is much lighter, so it's easier to see what's going hmm. on. Fair. I, guess. I mean. Although and it's and it's goofy. The spring the Lauren one's kinda of goofy, which is I Yeah, know. see I don't I don't want it's any fun. goofy on my cards. I want like super serious, dark and brooding on pretty much everything. What do you think of on that note, did you uh we're gonna take a quick detour. What did you think of striped riverwinder over on the Omnicast uh, spoilers? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About? I commented to Vorthos Mike on Twitter that I, I found the uh foreground and background separation really jarring because it was cl- quite clearly digital art. Um, and I thought the illustration was fantastic in the foreground, um, but it didn't merge with the background at all. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's beyond just digital. It's like, it's like almost cell, like, anim- yes. like an animation yes, cell type absolutely. of thing. Yeah, the cell animation. Um, yeah, it is a very unique art style, especially in contrast to all of the other stuff, which has like this sort of comic bookish pseudo realism. This was like jet set radio future type of thing um i don't know it definitely caught my eye when i was scrolling through it i can't decide if i like it or not but i appreciate the well it's basically like jet set radio meets pokemon right like if the guy from jet set radio did pokemon um i could go for a whole set like that just to to see how it felt and but i would want the uh, option to rewind and (laughs) take another (laughs) take another bath well you know it's funny you say that because that would open up some interesting opportunities if Wizards said, okay, we're going to do a set and it's going to be all like that type of art. Um, you'd have a lot of people that would love it and a lot of people that would hate it. But then that sets you up because uh, reprints would be really interesting because it's like they reprint it with a normal art. 
And it's like, okay, well, now you have two ver- dramatically different versions and some people are going to love one and, or the other. So like kind of throws the prices all in the whack because it's not just interchangeable at that point. Like people would care. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. What's your last card? All right. So my last pick was, and I was stunned by this. Like I knew this card was played in EDH, but I didn't, didn't know it was the top green card ever. I, I, I mean, I knew it was quite popular, but I wouldn't have put it as number 20,000 plus decks this appears in the eternal witness fnm promo features the following spec support points super low supply therese nielsen art it's 10 years old and it's in 20,000 plus decks as far as i'm concerned that is about as slam dunk as a spec gets you can currently get these at about 30 dollars. there's not a whole lot of them lying around i think you can i think you need about 600 bucks to clean up tcg player and then sell target of say 50 to 60 um they're never printing this particular version again uh eternal witness will show up again for sure it it hasn't been printed since modern masters believe it or not um in a format where it could end up foil so you probably don't have to worry about it until at least the 25th masters in the spring and if not then then maybe modern masters 2019 eternal witness is probably due for a reprint um but none of that really matters because you're still going to have ample opportunity to unload the fnm version um in the interim and i'm not sure that reprintings matter at all unless the reprinted art is especially amazing because both the original art and this art are both by therese nielsen right so um you got a high bar to clear if you want to become the the default standard for the card okay but i will my only concern with this is that those in particular are very warpy so it can be tricky to find one that's in near mint condition I think that's the one catch that you might run into. Yeah, so um, which isn't to say that it's a bad spec. It just means it's harder to find good quality. I, I agree with that. You need to be aware. Although I think that if it moves a lot and you can get you know <clears throat> a slightly warpy or clouded version in a binder at a, some store for say twenty bucks or whatever, and it hits sixty eventually, you're going to be able to unload that for thirty to forty easily. And because in sleeve, those kind of defects really uh, aren't aren't that big a deal. And the thing is about EDH is that your deck isn't going to get deck checked for, you know, a single card being slightly more discernibly warped, right? And EDH decks get shuffled so much that eventually half the, most of the deck is warped, especially if you're in any kind of a humid environment. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is, this is just going to be a tough promo to find. Again, top green card in EDH. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the start of every sentence, intro sentence for a spec that I ever want to hear. <laughs> that's that's a fair point for sure i mean most of the specs we talk about in edh are in a few thousand decks max this is in 10 times more decks yeah that is true i mean what's the, so like soul ring is at like the most i think yeah. right which is usually clocked in at like yeah because it's a colorless a broken colorless and accelerator right that every deck has to so run. that is the and it's and it's dirt cheap yeah so it's the absolute most um available card imaginable and this is in Eternal Witnesses in 35, it looks like, on EDA track. Yeah. 33, 34, which is a lot. Okay. I like that. Yeah, sure. sure so sure, the, sure. Way, I, the, I like the way I went at this to counter the potential warping, by the way, was I found a, a dealer on eBay that had two sealed packs of four cards each for 110 per. Which cleaned that up in a heartbeat. Like, sealed packs of this card? You got to be kidding me. Yeah, it's sealed. Wow, those are ancient. Yeah. Two thousand eight. Jeez, 
Really? 2008? That's a long time ago. Nine-year-old. One would say it was nine years I, ago. <laughs> and here's the thing. I bet you anything that in those packs, they're as pristine as they can be, but I bet you they're still warped. Because what yes. I've experienced with those packs is they're not they're not vacuum sealed. They're not airtight. So the, the moisture can still warp the card or lack thereof. So yeah. I think that I, I bet yeah. they bet you anything they show up with a slight bend in them, but I can live with that because it's actually relatively easy to correct that in hard cases if you put them back to back to each other. Okay, yeah, it's it, you're right. I, I mean, I have one of these and it is a little warpy, uh, but it doesn't really bother me that much, especially again because I'm not really playing competitive events with it, so it's not a problem. All right, so that's our specs for the week, folks. We're gonna move on, uh, skip metagame week and review this week because there's not that much to talk about. Although I. There definitely will be next week when we see what the results of the SEG Invitational are, since they're tackling both Standard and Modern there this weekend. Um, but we're going to move on to Hour of Devastation. We now have the full set spoiler in hand. Uh, Travis, tell me what your initial impressions are of this set, now that you've seen all of it. Uh, not great. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't find the set to be all that interesting, honestly, um, at least relative to like Kaladesh or Aether Revolt, which felt like they had a lot more interesting stuff going on. Um, you know, Amonkhet brings us like, or our devastation brings us solemnity. And then I don't know, there's not, it just doesn't seem as rich of a set to me, at least on the surface. Um, maybe that means that there's a lot more under the surface that, uh, we should really be trying to figure out where the angle is, uh, or maybe it's a journey into Nyx and just sort of falls flat on its face. So uh, how about you? Well, I know at least one prominent, uh, you know, card shark on Twitter, uh, Stu Summers, that, you know, has pretty consistently ever since I've been around MTG Finance, been pre-selling um, cards and then cracking boxes and selling through um, as just like an individual dude. Um basically just opted out of this set said like the the value the ev is not going to be there it's already bad it's going to get worse um cracking a bunch of boxes to sell singles isn't going to make any money um that's a pretty weird place to be um given that you don't see that kind of reaction <laughs> from how often are pre-sales not worth it for the people selling yeah them? i mean that's a bad sign right um and the interesting thing here is that only three where that's coming from is that only three cards are over ten dollars you've got razaketh the foul blooded at about 12 scarab guards at gods at about 12 and nickel bolus god pharaohs at 20 um i think of those three cards the only one that's going to end up holding 10 plus is nickel bolas just because he's cool badass motherfucker um and all the rest of this is going to fall flat down you know Scarab God's going to end up closer to $5. Ditto Razaketh. Um, Majestic Miriarch. Nisa Genesis Mage. Uncage the Menagerie. The Locust God. Here's the thing. This set isn't for Constructed. Most of this set looks like it's for EDH. What? Okay. So are you just talking about like the gods, Solemnity? Where else are you going with that? Majestic Miriarch. That's the... Uh, chimera four and a green power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control and at the beginning of combat it gets all the abilities uh of creatures that uh that of you could you control including first strike double strike death touch haze text proof indestructible lifelink menace reach trample vigilance etc it's funny i saw that i thought the card was terrible i'm like maybe i was thinking about it from standard perspective but i was like yeah so what this is five mana for like of six six well, it's a, it's, that might have it could flying, be a five mana for a two two in standard right, right, right <laughs> that, that has right. no abilities i mean i guess 
I guess in EDH it's a little bit better, but like, you know, if you have, if you've got three or four keywords on the board in EDH, like they're not on two twos and three threes. They're on like real creatures. So it's like, I guess this gives you a, like another Acroma baby for like five mana. <laughs> It just doesn't really do that. I much think the foils me. are gonna ha- are gonna look gorgeous, um, and I think somebody will figure this out in EDH. Like it's got it's a little it's open ended enough. Like if you're playing tokens or something, this could be a twenty twenty. Um, and if you if you can figure out how the token deck has a bunch of keywords on board at the same time, then it works. Um, Razaketh the Foul Blooded you had mentioned before as a potentially broken card in EDH, um, where people can use it to tutor up things that they need. Scarab God is definitely an EDH card, so a Scorpion God, Logos God probably gets in there at some point too. Uncage the Menagerie, um, uh, to me is a con- potential constructed standout, probably in modern, um, because it's open-ended in the sense that it can go find, you know, infi combos that show up down the road, um. So, but I think that that card is going to get super underrated, and I bet you anything, foils of Uncaged and Menagerie end up in the like four to five dollar range um, pretty quickly here. At which point, I might be interested. Um, Rumming up uh, Excavator, certainly an EDH card. This is the Crucible of Worlds on a stick, uh, two and a green for a two three that lets you play land cards from your graveyard. Uh, foils of that will end up being a thing for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty cool card. Um, Crested Sunmare. Looks like a solid card in EDH. That's the 5-5 five, five horse that makes all your other horses indestructible. And at the beginning of each end step, if you gained life, you get a 5-5. Five, five. So in Aloro, that's a slam dunk. This card seems uh, way beyond standard to me, or way beyond EDH. This looks to me like it could easily be a pretty powerful card in standard. Um, I mean, 5 mana for 5-5 five, five isn't exciting, but there are a lot of ways to make incidental life gain Uh if you're looking for it and this could, this seems to me like it'll be capable of, of doing a lot of work, even in standard. So I'm very curious to see where pre-orders of this go. Um, and I'm actually going to be watching Japanese pre-orders because what 10, what we've seen happen in a couple places is the Japanese pre-order market figures out that a card is broke really good and standard and buys it out and their prices jump before America does. And then you can grab cheap pre-orders on our side um, and then they catch up. So we saw this happen with both uh, Whisperwood Elemental and Ishkana. Um, I got in on both of those pre-sales because the Japanese market moved first. So I'm going to keep an eye on what Crisis Sunmere does because not only is this card definitely funny in EDH, although uh, I have to tell you that there are like no playable horses. Um, I think it's a standard contender for sure. Yeah. Especially with Gideon rotating in the fall and like kind of opening up some of the white higher moniker space. Yeah. And also Avacyn leaving in the five slot as well at the same time. The, um, yeah, I mean, Crystal Sunmere is going to be a thing with some horses they print down the road somewhere. Um, and the foils are, are going to dry up. Um, but I think you're going to get a shot at them in the, say, four or $5 range as well. Maybe even lower. That does raise a question. Like, who is this for? Because there is no horse tribe to speak of existing right now. It's not even like oh, you can look at it like it's a, a semi-under-supported tribe. But also, horses don't really fit on Amonkhet. Like, they're not like an Egyptian yep. desert thing. So it's not like they did like a legendary camel, right? They um, The horse just feels out of place. So like that would have seemed to be like extremely intentional to choose this creature type because it doesn't fit in the plane, but we don't see what it's there for because there isn't this other backlog of stuff that it's supporting. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this just, this, I guess, just makes it a complete seed for like maybe Ixalan's 
white creature type is like no horses. we know that's not true i don't think it's ixalan but i do think we are getting horses in the semi near like near to mid-range future and here's the thing if i learned anything by examining the the inclusion of all these cats and horses and stuff in Amonkhet, um i'm not going to say the sexist thing and say that this is for women because it's not but it's definitely for people that like cuddly things like the they are introducing tribes that are for the cuddly scene and you know it magic has mostly been about badass things for the most part i mean you've got some wacky tribes like goblins but this is we're definitely seeing a shift towards experimenting with cuddly tribes to see you know if that if that moves the needle and gets more people interested or um help sell more product or whatever this is just part of the whole you know let's see what happens if we try this that we've seen from wizards pretty consistently over the last couple of years um so i think we're getting more horses i think that this will be a foil you're going to want to have your hands on maybe three to five years down the road when they've largely dried up and horses are 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 in much greater quantity because right now you couldn't even build a quarter of a horse-based edh deck like it would be like tarpan this thing uh, a couple of like artifact horses and then every other spell that searches them up and you would just be crying at the table in frustration yeah i mean You'll draw that deck up and be lucky to get a quarter of a list yeah. out of it. Um, so, but it's it's it, it's a powerful card. Yeah, I mean, Hollow One is a card that some people have noted. This is the artifact creature Golem Rare. It's a five for a four four, but it costs two less for each card you've cycled or discarded this turn. So, in theory, uh, it could uh, be a zero cost five, four four. Uh, yeah, he's interesting. I mean, <clears throat> I, I believe there's a turn one kill in modern with it, but it's like 11 cards. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not going to happen. Um, but he, he is kind of nifty. Um, I'd be curious to see where that could go. Foils of overwhelming splendor seem like they'll be a thing in EDH at some point. This is the enchant player or a curse for eight creature Creatures enchanted player controls lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 1-1. Enchanted player can't activate abilities that aren't mana abilities or loyalty abilities. That's like making the guy sit at the table, but he's no longer actually playing the game. Yeah, I really like Overwhelming Splendor, um, both non-foils and foils. It's a really powerful card, uh, and you can do some pretty dirty stuff in EDH in the sense that, like, you can Academy Rector for this, and you can replenish it, and you can um, open the vaults it back. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get this in the play that don't involve paying eight mana. Uh, so I think, and it's it's a very cool card. It does a lot for you. Only hitting one player is kind of a bummer, but even still, um, it's probably you know you can copy the enchantment too. Uh, so. It, I expect this to do pretty well, um, you know, two years down the road. Yeah. So there's that new safe haven with the uh, Noah Bradley art, uh, Endless Sands. Gorgeous art on that card. The foils are going to be stunning. Um, <clears throat> this is basically a colorless desert land that allow, for two allows you to exile a target creature you control. And then for four, you can sack the land and get all those creatures back. Um, that seems like an EDH thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I was looking at um, Leave to Chance. Did you see that one? That's the two mana white spell um, return any number of permanents you control to your hand. Okay. Um, because it's essentially back up to retract, uh, but it's on color with like Pure Steel Paladin. So it's it's an interesting 
it's an interesting combo component. Um, so you have like, it's, you've got both retract and paradoxical outcome in the same space. So I'm wondering if there's, uh, if this is going to do anything in modern, if this will trigger something, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know for sure, but it it it's it, it's inter- it's I don't think the card's going to go up in price, but it's an interesting effect to have another copy of. So maybe it enables something else going it, on. Uh, it is again. This is a poster child for open ended synergy, right? Because it's not even returning artifacts to your hand; it's returning any number of permanents to your hand. I mean, I right. don't know where that's going to be broken, but at some point it will be. Yeah. Um. Uh, Bannon sarcophagus, uh, another interesting card, I suppose. Uh, you can cast non-land cards with cycling from your graveyard, um, which means that you can play a stuff like uh, Crows and Tusker or any of those types of effects um, and get all the value out of cycling them and then cast them later on. I mean, like if you've if you cycled four or five cards uh, prior and then you play an abandoned sarcophagus, it's like you just drew five or six cards. Um, the only catch is that if you have a card with cycling that goes to your graveyard and you didn't cycle it, you have to exile it. So like if you, you know, cycle crows and Tusker and then cast him out of your graveyard and then he dies, he gets exiled. You don't get to just cast him again, but that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Uh, being able to cycle a Chroma's vengeance and then cast a Bannon sarcophagus and just a Chroma's vengeance again, seems pretty good. Um, probably not going to be a huge deal. Because uh, you have to be playing a cycling EDH deck, but it is interesting looking. I like a lot of these split cards because I think that people are very bad at evaluating them thus far. Um, Reason to Believe caught my eye. I think we talked about it before. That's the scry three for one blue. And then you look at the top card of your library and you can put it on the battlefield if it's a creature. So it's basically like a show and tell potentially for modern and or standard. Um, and then uh, Claim to Fame. Um we don't get this effect very often. The one black spell uh, return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So that brings back Death Shadow or Snapcaster Mage. I have to think that Grixis Death Shadow at least tries that out to see if it can earn a slot. Yep, I saw some of the pros talking about that um, as uh, enabling further enabling the, the best deck in modern right now. So that's definitely at least going to get tried. Yeah. Did you uh, did you take a look at Bloodwater Entity? No. <clears throat> this is the is it three mana two two flying prowess so three mana two two flying prowess uh when it enters the battlefield you may put an instant or sorcery from your graveyard on top of your library so this does some really interesting things for instance with uh collected company so it's basically eternal if you <laughs> if you collected company eternal witness return collected company to your hand this puts the collected company back on top of your library uh, but you can also put other stuff on top of your library, you know, unsummons or counter spells or, you know, path, whatever. Um, and it is prowess. Uh, interestingly enough, it actually pairs really well with Delver of Secrets because now you have a way to actually get your Delvers to flip, which has been like the biggest problem with that card in modern. In Legacy, Delver is great because you just brainstorm and you put something on top. But in modern, you don't have that effect easily but bloodwater entity is like okay if you played your delver on turn one and you missed twice now i'm going to play bloodwater on turn three and now you can actually have your delver flipped um which could be enough to push that card really in the format yeah i like this from multiple angles um i like the collected company angle I like the delver angle um i think people uh, obviously putting it back on top of your library is not the same as casting it from your graveyard like snapcaster mage provides but snapcaster mage also isn't a 2-2 flying prowess creature um, yeah, I mean that if you, if you play a deck with Delver, Snapcaster, Bloodwater, and then all instants and sorceries, 
got a lot of lot to work with there. Uh huh. And maybe it's got bone uh bone picker, the uh, other wannabe delver in black, and and you play some fatal pushes and lightning bolts and stuff to make sure that that thing quote unquote flips. Uh, I'm curious. I, I'm curious whether there's a Grixis delver build or something out of this that also runs Death Shadow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there's it's it, 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 the effect is is pretty interesting at the very least. And maybe we could enable some sort of team or collective company build as well. Can you ever imagine having eternal witnesses and this guy in your teamer Coco deck and just casting collective company every turn after turn? Four? I'd love there, for there to be a <clears throat> teamer collective company deck because that means my <clears throat> foil savage knuckle blades acquired like at two dollars would be worth something. <laughs> OK, Um so the another one that is interesting is God Pharaoh's gift. This is the uh, seven mana artifact that at the kind of the fixed uh, seance at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do put a token into play, that's a copy of it, except it's a four, four uh, black zombie and it has haste. So seance exiled the creature from your graveyard, put a copy into play. But then the copy went away at the end of turn. This is you exile the creature and you get a 4-4 version of that creature and it's permanent and it has haste. Um, so it's a little more expensive, but it is a very powerful effect. It's going to be very good in EDH, of course, um, because you just get all of your creatures back again. And it's pretty wild with stuff like doubling season or anointed procession. This also, by the way, is a card that get to the afterlife tutors. Um, you can sack it and put Godfrey's gift into play uh if you if there are six or more creatures in your graveyard so that seems i think god foils god pharaoh gifts at the least are going to be a good place to start yeah the other one i that I, i'm interested in is oketra's last mercy this is the sorcery that gives you back your starting life total for three mana <laughs> um i find it hard to believe that their applications can't be found for that i mean against burn and modern isn't that just you're done it's pretty brutal like, yeah I mean, you, if you figure you can probably gain anywhere between 10 and 17 life with it. Reasonably. Let's say that I'm casting that on turn f- like four or five, the turn before burn is about to kill me. They've got a card in hand, maybe, and a creature on the board. And I don't untap, but I've probably got something else going on. And I only spent three on turn four or five. So maybe I had a mana left up for my path to exile anyway for the remaining creature. I, I feel like that's okay. I feel like that trade-off is okay. I think the lands don't untap thing is clearly very bad, but can be worked around if you're building around it. And over time, I also feel like Bantu's Reckoning um, is going to be a potential thing. It's a Wrath for three. I mean, that, that can't be underestimated. If you're facing down a Tarmogoyf and two Death Shadows, and you've got to you know, essentially skip a turn in the form of three lands not untapping to clear the board, wouldn't you make that sacrifice? It's I mean so I do think that uh Bantu's last reckoning is uh, a curious card. <clears throat> We're gonna need players who know more than I feel like we do to actually tell us if it was going to work. Um but definitely worth keeping an eye on. You know, I guess the, com- the comparison for Aketras is you can play Rest for the Weary, which is two mana, gain eight life if you for landfall. So like how often is a catcher is going to be better than eight life and you know, what's it going to cost you to get that extra couple fair of point, life? Fair you point. Know, the fact that you, you, the fact that you lose an entire turn is like probably worth the, you know, between two and five life right there. So, but it, but it is interesting. I mean, it's, if you can find a way to have your lands untap anyways, it's certainly very powerful. In, in, e, in EDH um, where you start with 30 life, do you think you play this? 40 oh, life. 40, and right? 
maybe, especially because there, it's, that counts as gaining life, by the way. Um, even though it doesn't say, I don't think it says gain life on the card, right? But it says your life total becomes. Um, and the rules, the way the rules work, it says if your life total changes, regardless of whether it says gain or lose, like whichever way it changes, you have gained or lost that life. So if you have effects that trigger on gaining life um, and you're playing some sort of deck where you're like you get tons of triggers off of that, uh, you know, gain 30, 30 life in one spell is going to be a pretty big deal. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so that's interesting. In fact, you could kill with that in some sort of white black. Uh, what is it? Is it sanguine bond, which is whenever you gain life, <laughs> your opponents lose that life. Yeah. So like you could gain 20 or 30 life and just blow everyone out of the water. So there's certainly some application there, but I don't know if it's really enough to push it that hard, especially at rare as opposed to mythic. Mm. I, foils only i mean almost all of this stuff to my mind is foils only because it, it's mostly casual yeah. edh kind of targets i'm seeing here i, I hardly see anything that's going to upset the apple cart and standard it, i mean not at least for the next three months but i mean even then like even if you did like who cares like and, I, and i'm not being rude to you i just mean like nobody cares about standard at this point like it's just not an interesting format especially you know, we're hitting the summer. It's just, it, this is the worst time of the year for standard. So really all we can do is look for, well, what's going to pop up in standard in October? That's what we need to be focusing on. So I'm on. very curious how far the bottom will fall out of this set, given what we've discussed. Um, if if pre-orders are going really poorly and people have already ordered their sealed product, the race to the bottom will be that much more intense and we might get early access to some of these key EDH cards uh, at very attractive prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, did you did you notice Crypt of the Eternals? Uh, let me just find that one. It's So it's a uncommon land. Uh, comes into play, you gain a life. T- um, taps for a waste. And then for one in tap, you get a Grixis color. I don't know. I kind of wonder if this is any if Aldrazi is interested in this at all in modern, um, like foils of this, because it makes waste mana. Uh, you can turn one colorless into one of the Grixis colors, so it's kind of like a quad-ish land. Uh, obviously, it, it it takes two mana to make one of these other colors, but you know that deck between the ancient tombs and or. Uh, Tends to generate a little bit of extra mana, I think, because of the way their land base works. I don't think um, any of the current builds want it. And the problem with Eldrazi is they're not really getting more tools anytime soon. Um, so, but this isn't this is a card worth keeping its eye on, your eye on. Is this an uncommon or a rare? Uncommon. Less, less so excited. I would only be interested in foils. Yeah. Like if you could pick up foils of this at like fifty cents or a dollar, maybe it ends up at like three or four. I mean, there you have stuff like Shimmering Grotto, which is virtually the same effect, but it gives you all five colors, and it doesn't come into play tapped either. But that doesn't give you the life when it comes into play. I don't know how much that's interesting. I don't, I don't know. Just yeah, I don't know. It, that that one doesn't get me too excited. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's fair. That's fair. I kind of forgot that like Shimmering Grotto existed until I looked at the similar cards. It's like, oh yeah. But all right, so but but I do but I just want to mention I do think God's Pharaoh's Gift is a really cool card. I think that's going to be one of the best gainers in EDH going forward from this set. Yeah, I could see it potentially. The um, so one of the only other things I wanted to mention was a shout out to our our buddy Sig on uh, on Twitter um, for pointing out uh, a site that I couldn't believe um, uh, I wasn't already on top of. Uh, Cardshark.com is kind of like a poor man's TCG player. And I remember looking at it a while back and just kind of discounting it as being 
exactly that and not really digging much deeper. But he was talking about how he found some cards on there that were underpriced versus their recent spike. So I went on there and, and ran it against my little database of uh, of cards that have moved and very quickly put together a $400 cart that's got to be worth seven to 800 Um So, I mean, if you're, if you're just refusing to listen to us and go get into EU arbitrage, maybe take a look at Card Shark next time you're trying to hunt down some sweet deals. Okay, good to know. Although he will contest that claim because uh, he's not our friend, he's your friend. He would not call himself my friend. <laughs> well, we, we were co-workers and no reason for animosity. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap up here today? I think I'm good. Okay, so where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, uh, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. What about you, Travis? Okay. Uh, well, again, I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B U M P I N. I write every Monday for MTGPrice.com. Uh, I also do the Cartel Aristocrats webcast most Mondays. And if you like playing magic, check out scry.land, find magic in your area. And this is usually where I do the spiel about everybody signing up for ProTrader. Um, but currently, ProTrader functionality is utterly broken. And um, we did a server move recently um, that uh, went a little bit disastrously. And the programmers are still trying to clean that mess up. Um, so don't fear. Your your collection data and everything has been uh, is protected. Um, but the functionality may take another day or two to correct, and I'll feel much more comfortable telling you guys to sign up once you actually can. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, that brings us to uh, end of uh, episode. Wait, wait, wait. Episode. Wait, I lost it. Where did it go? Episode seventy-four. Uh, I thought it was another good one, James. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Thank you very much, Travis, and we'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>